everybody. Welcome to the Earth Day edition of Ask a Leader. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host. But here comes the first pitch. It's so important that you support us. With the $35 pledge, you'll get a thank you gift from us and the feeling of having helped out the station. So well, let's go back now to the introduction for the show. Today, I want to um, post you on my uh, April 22nd edition of Ask a Leader. My guest will be Jane Page, UCI School of the Arts Theater faculty, will be directing along with Rosemary Brownlow, acting in the leading role on the upcoming production of As You Like It. We're fortunate to have them here so close to opening night this Saturday. The Bard's actual 450th birthday is on this Thursday, two days from now. Then, in the second half, I'll be riffing off all kinds of Earth Day consumer-saving themes with treasured guest returning to the show, Susan Carpenter, formerly with the L.A. Times, now with the Orange County Register and the newly launched L.A. Register. And now, again, one more pitch before we take a, a station break. We are at KUCI in our second day of the Spring Fun Drive. We are located at 949-824-5824, and we are... Also on the web at KUCI.org, where you can give us some support there. $35 starts the premiums. If you can't possibly give that, then maybe a little something less than that. All the way up to $100, and you can be in this station doing a show with us. So $200, you can do your own show for an hour. We'll help you out. and You won't be flying without a net. So what we'll do now is take a station break, and we'll be back with Jane Page and Rosemary Brown, though. Stay tuned. Thank you for staying tuned, everybody. That was Gabrielli's canzone personate for uh, to set the tone with the Canadian brass performing. Back with Ask a Leader, my first guests today are Jane Page and Rosemary Brownlow. Brownlow, director and leading lady, respectively, of the upcoming UCI production of William Shakespeare's As You Like It. Returning to the show, Jane Page is an assistant professor and head of directing. She's going to help me with this intro. One detail I forgot to get uh, prior to the uh, hooking up here. She's joined UCI's drama department in January 2012. Her extensive credits include her recent direction of what in London, Jane? Other Desert Cities. Okay, and that was earlier this year. Also, her award-winning 2011 production of The Great Goddess of Bazaar, her direction of Amelia Lives, both Edinburgh's International Fringe Festival and God of Carnage at the English Theater in Vienna. In the U.S., she's contributed to Shakespearean festivals in Colorado, Kentucky, Utah, and the, and the St. Louis area. She completed her Master's in Fine Arts at Indiana University. Cast in the leading role in As You Like It, my other guest is Rosemary Brownlow, who hails from Portland, Oregon, completed her undergraduate degree at Whitman College, and is now a second year in the MFA acting program at UCI. Among those roles she's performed include Marley in A Christmas Carol and The School Teacher in The Visit, which uh, was also directed by Jane, Quince in A Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm referring back to that later. I can't resist. Uh, at uh, UCI's <laughs> New Swan Shakespeare Festival. This year she'll return to play Viola in Twelfth Night in that same summer festival. Jane Page and Rosemary Brownlow join me here in Studio A. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hi, thank you for having us. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to have you because I know without even being in the middle of that, that this this lead up to the opening night is a big deal. And this time is at a total premium. So thank you for coming in this morning. Well, I'm going to this is like the the biggest, most comprehensive, heaviest uh, sort of uh, question. And then it just gets easier (laughs) from here on. (laughs) William Shakespeare, as you like it, adapted from an earlier play, Thomas Lodge's um, play. It's a complex comedy where it's more about ideas than it's about plot. What is it, Jane, that you want to do with the play that's like or unlike what Shakespeare did with As You Like It originally? 
Well, I don't know that I think of uh, of it not about plot because it's a whirlwind of uh, events that happen, sometimes really surprising and silly events as we've uh, put the play together. Um, we put it in the 1880s in New Orleans and outside of New Orleans, and uh, the spin is also that it really reminded me of fairy tales and of children's books. And so it's a very playful romp. It's a very um, lively telling of the story, which I think will be very unusual for anyone seeing the show, and especially people that have seen it in a more traditional setting. Well, as I understand, the, the, the romp is about satire, and uh, they satirize themselves, some of these characters. So there's the, the witticism is sort of conveying some ideas some, in some ways. Well, that's partly true, but it's a very visual. It's a very um, aerobic. You can ask Rosie about that. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, and I've seen how aerobic she can be. Oh, we're still getting to that. You were going to add to that, Rose, Murray, Rosie. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, it's definitely a play of ideas, and we have a lot of um, very complex philosophy in this play, but I think mostly it's, it's really a play about falling in love and how wonderful and terrifying that is and and yeah, there's a lot of satirizing ourselves and satirizing other characters in the play. But I think at its heart, um, it is a deeply um, uncynical uh, play. And it, it is a play about embracing humanity and embracing love and entering into the full stream of the world and uh, not sort of isolating yourself and saying you hate everything. <laughs> right, because they, there's transformative uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. developments in here. Well, Jane, you decided to set the play in New Orleans and the surrounding Cajun country. What would the time period be for that setting? And what an imaginative setting you set. Tell us about your deciding on that. Well, when I first uh, was asked to, to direct the play, one of the things that's always sort of troubled me about the play is that there are these many, many events in the play that happen on a dime that are really... Uh, sort of, I think, magical, and I was trying to figure out how I could make that sensible. And so that's where, at the end, it, everybody sort of ends up happily ever after in the idea of a fairy tale, and then I created a character who, like Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream, sort of orchestrates uh, the action and these surprising events, and she's the fairy godmother who then takes over one of the roles at the end of the play. Um, New Orleans, I think, is one of the most romantic cities in America and very European feeling from my time in that part of the country. And Avery Island, which is right outside of New Orleans, is is our Arden. And it's a beautiful place. Also, ironically, where um, Tabasco sauce is made <laughs> and also where Audubon did a lot of his drawings of birds. So it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So we'll... It, so it will be quite amazing to change that set from that the urban which is a, the part of the setting Correct. for the As You Like uh -huh. originally, and then the Arden, the, yes. uh, which becomes that, was it a barrier island or something like that in, yeah. the, in the Gulf? Yeah, it's um, it's a lovely, um, it's elegant, it's simple, and it's very convincing. The designer uh, is a first-year MFA de uh, design student, Morgan Price, who uh, has miraculously given us a great playfulness. Okay. And so th that... That came easily to you, though, that selection of that setting then? Well, it, you were it was a long time coming, but it, once okay. it was established in my head and I got the designers uh, intrigued with the idea, it's been just a fabulous process. So that's where rumination is everything, where you've yes. you got to arrive at the you right decision, time. and then, then that decision just keeps making its own case for itself. Mm -hmm. For those of you who've just joined us, we have today the director, uh, Jane Page, and the leading lady, Rosemary Brownlow, for the upcoming production at UCI, As You Like It, written by William Shakespeare. Most of you would know that without my saying. Uh, here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming in uh, casting rooms around the world on the web at KUCI.org. We're in the middle of a fun drive, folks. We do have people who can take your call, and I'll make it easy for you. It's 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824. Please support our station. We're talking about the setting for the play being New Orleans and Cajun country. And are, are, is, is there going to be music that's also going to add that flavor and taste? We are blessed with an amazing uh, design team and, the, and a composer who's a grad student who has written spectacular music for the show. And uh, lots of what are called folio sound effects, which are live done by 
the actors in the course of the play. Oh, great. So Holy these two system. designers, mm-hmm. um, Mark Casper and Brian Svoboda, have worked very closely with the production and with me and the rehearsal process to come up with the wonderful, wonderful music that's in the show. This is good news. Well, uh, and so will there, there's musicians. Will the actors also have some kind of uh, instrument? Or that's yes, there's live music as well as recorded sound. So it's a great blend. A-okay. Well, um, I'd like then to ask, it's a personal question. <laughs> I think we always want to know this, but because I, I think I have a, I have a kind of a, a, um, a, a relationship with Rosemary because I was so fond of what she pulled <laughs> off with some of these earlier uh, um, witty, witty kinds of uh, soliloquies in some of these other plays. You two have worked together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know each other from The Visit, where mm-hmm. Rosemary was last, uh, about a and year Jane ago. And Jane also teaches a class for all of the incoming uh, MFA students. She teaches like sort of a, she calls it Jane's homeroom. It's like a, it's a oh. script analysis class that we all take together. Okay. It's great. So, so that's, Jane knows about your, your portfolio of textures and things like that. I mm-hmm. just wanted to know how, did, did you choose Rosemary uh, outright for the, the focal point of this play? How did I want to know about that process? The way that um, the auditions happen in September, and we do what are called mega auditions, where it's three days of seeing all of the actors, and all of the directors sit down, and we um, parse out sort of how the season's going to unroll and who's doing what roles. And it was very clear to me um, right out of the gate after the first audition that Rosie was was the person I really, really wanted for Rosalind. And... Uh, and and Craig uh, Bronner, who's in first year, was just a perfect match. They are just confection together. <laughs> All right. Well, I and and Rosie's comedic sense. Now, this is the part I'm waiting for to get, tr- trot out. It's not. It's sort of like bringing that out now. Sort of like the degree of difficulty of showing talking about art galleries that the. If you haven't been there, can't see it, you may not know what we're talking about. But <laughs> there, there was a particular scene in. Midsummer Night's Dream, where in this kind of plot within a plot, where Rosemary pulled off a a, da Vinci, a Michelangelo uh, pain, Sistine Chapel painting, where those two fingers were just, you were da- doing this dance, you choreographed these movements, and you ended up with the two fingers joining yeah. at, in that. How did you come up with well, that? Well, that that wasn't, I was sort of the narrator of it. This is the play within a play in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and the, the two fingers were Pyramus and Thisbe, the two... Um, uh, star-crossed lovers in this sort of silly parody of uh, Romeo and Juliet type play and we actually we came up with that uh, it was very collaborative and the director sort of said go off into a room and, and come up with this play within a play uh, do, she said do the most serious uh, version of it that you can do <laughs> and that's what we came up with and it, it um, just sort of I, I'm not sure exactly where that particular moment came came out of but it was very uh, sort of devised and, and very collaborative it was fun so that's where Jane picks up on all of that and it, we'll we'll get to see something that that was just a marvel and I I I I can't I'll never forget that so oh, thank you so that's how th- then you were able to sort out that I'm sure the other casting wasn't quite couldn't have been that easy well it's you know you start you start casting is such a um is such a puzzle and with 23 actors in the show um and lots of roles and wanting variety and uh and working with everybody else and who that everybody needs and who's in town who's not um but the cast is just wonderful and it has just been a joyful joyful process okay Rosemary, anything uh, new you uh, learned about uh, yeah, yourself no, in I, that process? Jane's talking. Yes, Jane. I absolutely echo everything Jane said. It's <laughs> just been the most fun, easy process. I think Craig and I, who's playing Orlando, we sort of turned That's to each other. That's your love interest. Yes, yes, and he is wonderful. He's so generous and and um, just a open spirit on stage. And we turned to each other and we said, "Hold on, this has been so easy. Like nothing has gone horribly wrong in this process." what you know when is the other shoe gonna drop we were sort of afraid because um it's just been so um so fun and and collaborative um but 
the other shoe hasn't dropped. I don't think it will at this point. No, we're um, keeping our <laughs> shoes on. Keeping both of our shoes on. Shoes we've, on. Just, we've just had a great time making the show, and we put it up really quick. Jane staged the whole thing in two and a half days, and we so we did sort of a run-through on day three, and that has helped so much, I think. And, and since then, we've just been working to you know refine moments and, and craft it in the most interesting way possible, and it's just we've, just, we've all had a blast, which is so important for this show because it's, it's so much fun. You know, you can't sort of have a, a dreary atmosphere in the rehearsal room or else the play's not going to work. Right. I mean, the freshness of that immediate sort of putting together must uh, really serve the comedy very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's that personal question aside. Then, um, uh, I, then there is another feature I quite don't understand how you'll be able to pull it off, but you are. You will. Uh, and, and it affects, I guess, how many seats are available, too. It's that you're going to be fitting the new Swan Theater, which is an outdoor theater. You'll be fitting it inside the Robert, or it is fit now, inside the Robert Cohen Theater. So how is that going to work for you, the director? How are the actors working with that? Well, what we found out was that um, the entire Cohen Theater uh, does not hold the swan, the fitting of it was was a bit, uh, it was too tight to where you couldn't really use it. So what we're using is we're using what's called the tiring house, which is the physical structure which has all the entrances in it from the new swan, and the circular deck, which is what defines the playing space, and not the seating not units. The, oh, not the seating units. The seating units uh, are not in. What we're using is uh, is risers that were originally built for Angels in America, which was also done in that space. Oh, that worked. And that and they they were great, and it's a very intimate way to see Shakespeare. It's very it's a great opportunity for people, and it's going to be very family friendly. So it'll be great fun for kids to also come and see. And it's very immersive too. I mean, the audience—they're uh, not just sort of going to sit there passively. You know, they're going to—we're going to talk to them. They're <gasps> going to participate great. in the show. I think they'll have a good time. Because that's—I mean—that came off with Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, I felt like if I I found some of these gestures so irresistible, I could give, give back with uh, much enjoyment uh, audibly you know I really I mm-hmm. could I, I yeah, still remember that moment it's so important in that in that space to be able to have that relationship with the audience and you really can it's it's so intimate people are right there you can see everyone and um so that's one of the nicest things about this production I think and that'll help too because I I'm think increasingly we're getting more and more distant from William Shakespeare's language so to bring in in whatever way you can that audience too to be a part of that. It's not only uh, getting to play with them and, and a talking with them or getting them to say things for you or manipulating. They have some business with props that they need to do for, to make the show work. Um, it also means that when we get to the serious romantic scenes or the more thoughtful scenes, that, that it, there's a connection there that is really remarkable. A universality there. Yes, and it's, um, it's a lovely way to thread the needle and take them the audience through that journey. Well, I sometimes get a chance to talk to David Walker at the box office. Mm -hmm. I know there's some seats still available, and I guess we'll take a moment now and we'll repeat this information as will be repeated in the podcast summary. The times when the play will be presented, the opening night is this Saturday, and the Saturday nights are all at, let's see, those are at 8, and um, Let's see, Saturday, that's the 26th, 27th, and then the 29th and the 30th, and then May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Those are the evening performances, so check the website for the exact times. I I don't want to get this broken down too far. Then the matinees are on this Sunday and the following Sunday, uh, April 27th and May 3rd. And And Saturday. Oh, and the Saturday. May 3rd. May 3rd is the set. And and then May 4th, right. Oh, that's right. And... Then uh, you can still get the tickets. You can go to the website at www.arts.uci.edu forward slash tickets. So um, we'll want to make sure everybody knows how to do that. So um, for those of you who've just joined us, as I said, we have uh, the director, Jane Page, director of As You Like It, opening Saturday night, and leading lady, Rosemary Brown. Though she will be Rosalind, who is the pillar the focus of all this she's tested in her uh, romantic it's, it's, it's romantic uh, fidelity and your filial piety are all all of them are tested and mm-hmm. and with your cousin and your uncle because you are an orphan in this one yeah well I'm a, sort of an orphan my mother I assume is dead she's never mentioned um, my father has been banished so we start the play I'm 
in sort of a terrible state. I'm distraught because my father's been banished and I haven't seen him. It's sort of ambiguous in the play when this has happened, but we've chosen to say that it happened 10 years ago. So this the play starts with the 10th anniversary of my father being banished. And um, uh, so for all intents and purposes, I've sort of been an orphan in this um, high position at court for 10 years and sort of kept along as my cousin's uh, playmate. And the orphan is a sort of the, the moral code maker example to every other character mm-hmm. in the play. So that's well, that's a lot of sh- on one's shoulders as an orphan. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if, Jane, you wanted to add to any part of that. Or we... Okay, well, then another thing that Jane is bringing to this production is she talked about there's a storybook aspect or overall quality to the play as you like it. In keeping with that approach, you're putting together a a book drive for human options. Why don't you tell us about how you came up with that, what you want done with that, who you're reaching, what kind of readers. Right, thank you. Um, One of the, uh, as a director and as an artist, I feel very strongly about is, is giving back to a community um, that we're serving as artists and being involved in a in a community. Uh, last year, we did a food drive with the visit for Orange County Rescue. This year, because of the nature of what the play is, um, we're doing a book drive. And coloring books are also welcome for Human Options, which is a nonprofit uh, umbrella organization that works with uh, women and families that are um, dealing with uh, abuse and uh, very difficult situations. And they're in sore need of of children's books, gently used children's books, new books, and coloring books for their community of young people. I find that it's really interesting from my work uh, before I came to UCI in schools, how many children that I worked with who have never owned a book, and uh, and what a gift it is for children to have books and to actually have them in their hands and own them. It's a real gift. So I'm asking that uh, if you're able to, to please feel free to bring those donations to the production, and about, we will have a box for that. How about storybooks for the, the women who've had to haul into the shelters? Absolutely. You collect it all. Absolutely. Excellent. I will I laud you in, in bringing that component to it. And it's I'm not sure if it's on the website for the, the, the breaking... Uh, developments on campus, but I, 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 we should make sure that Jamie DeJong gets that up there so Thank people you. know in advance to get the, uh, to bring along something. It's it's just another um, way of owning part of the show and then uh, contributing back to the community. Well, as we said, there, the As You Like It will open on Saturday. So uh, how, let's see, what is it? Is it exponential preparation for a play, a live produced full on play? That mm-hmm. today is going to be, it's going to be double the effort tomorrow. It's going to be double that effort the next day. Is that kind of like Richter scale, how it climbs? D- sort of, yeah. We went into tech this weekend, so we had very long hours of uh, technical rehearsals, figuring out lights and sound. And and uh, today we're actually adding costumes and makeup. So you, you add things uh, one at a time. But at this point, we're running the show every night and also working notes. Um, but I'm very excited to see everyone in their costumes. Uh, the designs are just lovely and exciting. Um, and it's going to be, a, we're going to have a, a great time tonight. And then uh, the last component oh. is we have the audience. And we have an invited group of high school students on Friday. So that should be really fun. Where um, from? They're from Santa Ana. They're uh, part of a drama club there. So uh, I think they'll really enjoy it. I think it's, it's a great show for, for really anyone, but that age group too. So you try it out, and they get exposed. They get imprinted. They're never the same again. That's getting a lot of jobs done. Wait, is that your idea, Jane? Is what? Was that your idea? Well, no. We, we're having an invited dress, as Rosie says. Um, the other half of the play shows up when the audience arrives. We find out what, what really works, where the, the comedy lands, and how to ride uh, the audience response. So it's a great learning experience. We will then have a, a rehearsal Saturday afternoon to do what is called Fixes, after we have the uh, the the uh, invited dress on Friday night. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of want to stalk that and see what's happening. <laughs> I want to see that synergy going on there. <laughs> Do they know that they're offering that service to you as far as what works and doesn't work? I mean, is it going to be that informing? Going to say, guys, we're we're counting on you to not hold back with your reactions. <laughs> well, they're going to be out for part of the day and I'm going to meet with them uh and they'll get a tour of facilities. They're getting a great opportunity just to be on the in the drama uh department and to see what UCI has to offer. 
And I think most people that go to invited dress or in the professional theater previews, you know you're part of the process. And it's exciting to know that that you can come back in two weeks and see the show again, and it may be it may be different because of what an uh, an actor and a production learns from the audience. Yeah, and especially in this production, you know, there's just so much audience interaction. Like Jane said, it, it is really the other half of the play. I mean, it's just it's totally incomplete play unless in, until you have the people there. Are you, know? you going to lock looks right on audience members to make sure that they understand their role? Hopefully, I won't pe- uh, make people too uncomfortable. But there no, are no, times. not that. But I mean, just like it's in, as a comedic yeah, gesture. Yeah, and you know, I think that's how Shakespeare originally wrote his plays to have this very direct connection with individual audience members and the audience as a whole. And so there are times. When I come into the house and I, I uh, read, I read some poetry to the audience and I talk to them and you know I say, can you believe this? So, so yeah, there is. It's it's quite direct. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I know you have lots to do. I want to thank Jane Page, director at UCI School of the Arts, directing as you like it starting a Saturday night and leading lady Rosalind Roll, played by Rosemary Brownlow, who are both in the studio A with me today. Thank you both of you for thank coming you. in today. Thanks. We'll see you at the theater. I will see you. I'm coming on the last matinee. That's Yay. Uh, so terrific. There's, there's a lot going on at the School of the Arts, and uh, I, I can't wait. I'll just have to wait and uh, see what uh, what I'm hearing back from folks. So, Great. Well, thank you for joining us, and uh, folks, we'll be back after a break. Uh, but first, uh, one more pitch. You're listening to KUCI, and it's 88.9 FM in Irvine. We'll be right back after dial up Susan Carpenter to talk about our beefs and our uh, latest measures in Earth Day uh, persuasion. Thanks for staying with me. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. That was Cajun Country, Cajun uh, Two-Step there on um, just to pair with our Shakespearean-themed Bayou Country, uh, as you like, a production coming up this starting Saturday night. Well, it is my pleasure now to bring back on to Ask a Leader, Susan Carpenter, who was previously, uh, when she was last on the show, was with... The Los Angeles Times. Now she's with uh, that was that's Brand X. She's now with the uh, Orange County Register as well as the recently launched L.A. Register. And uh, we're going to march her away from the automotive beat and the banter to about to talk about observance of Earth Day, which is today. But for uh, between Susan and me and the rest of you, it's an everyday holiday gesture, folks. So. Don't think of it as a one-day, one-shot deal. But before we take three, I just want to go one more pitch. It's KUCI. We're in the middle of a fun drive. 8245824 in our 949 area code. Please support our station. We could so use it. It's not a, a main branch of the UC uh, funding. We're pretty much funding ourselves. And what you can give us helps us start to work on some of this out-of-date, uh, just a quaint infrastructure that we do, deal with it. A little, little more help, more financial contributions. We can even sound better than we do now. So let's now start Susan Carpenter with the recent rollout of Aaron Kushner's Los Angeles Register, LA Register. What's the geographic range? What are the who are the targeted readers? Uh, well, the targeted readers are really kind of along the peripheries of Los Angeles. It's in the valley, very heavy on the west side, uh, out to the east. Um, but it's really targeting the whole LA metro area with very specific areas of um, targeted coverage. But the whole city is being covered. Okay, oh, the county. Or the city. Yeah, well, the city and the county. Okay, yes. actually, when LA, it's never clear whether we're talking <laughs> municipality, and it, since it it sort of weaves around uh, and other um, incorporated areas. That so. Um, so all and, eighty-eight cities. All right. Clear. Yes. So the intended content. Now, your your automotive at the register, the OC register. Is are you going to keep the automotive content? Plus, I, uh, let's see. I noticed so you were. No, it's still automotive. When you were talking about uh, the LAPD chief on his uh, little bikes on the weekends. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I mean, I still will be writing the the weekly wheels section, which runs on Fridays. So that's going to be covering cars, motorcycles, and of course, there's some overlap with environmental coverage too. So uh-huh. the very first wheels section that ran last Friday, there was a very large story about this major hydrogen infrastructure fuel cell vehicle confab that happened down at the Toyota campus last week. So uh, right. just talking about the the continuing evolution of the hydrogen highway and the impending rollout of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. So there's there's some overlap there. Um, but then in terms of other content that's specific to Los Angeles Register environmental coverage, that is going to be very much like what I used to write for the LA Times, the Realist, Idealist, and Garbage Maven columns. So Excellent. Very, I'm so glad uh, to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back on that. Um, so a lot of first-person experiences with just trying to live a – live a cleaner, greener life. Absolutely. And that is what we're going to be dabbling in a little bit for the most part. But I just want to find out a little bit more business about the LA Register. So I guess there's some questions about the printed version. It's uh, slowly making its way newsstands around the, the county. You know, you probably know more than I. I've no, been no, I don't. I've been picking up my Eleven. So uh, it's supposed to be available for in-home or at-home delivery starting next month, and it's available at 5,500 different retail locations. I've right. heard rumors, but I've yet to see any LA Register boxes out on the street. But, um, yeah, it's pretty widely available. Where is it printed, if that's not a Down secret? Down here. Right in uh, mm-hmm. behind the curtain, the orange curtain. Okay. Yeah, and I could walk there right now. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. Well, let's turn to the themes because I'm not sure how much riffing we're going to do, and I don't want us to be cutting ourselves off with this, these important messages. Particular per- themes pertaining to Earth Day today, as a, and as I said, all days. Our latest, I'd say, our latest green measures and our beefs with waste out there. We can set aside the water consumption part because I get to cover a bit of that with the UC Center for Hydrologic Modeling and Jay Familiari's crowd. They come here often enough. We do spots, PSAs and things like that. They're very inventive. Uh, so uh, let's start. Um, I And I want to give this a bit of time. And, and since you're in the automotive column content, uh, I want to start with that messy habit Lots of folks have with idling their cars in the parking lot while they're on their screens, while they're waiting for their child to come out of their school. Uh, now, I've noticed there, uh, thank you to Mr. Zender here, Charlie Zender um, shared nearby a, a website that posts the downside of this dirty habit for um, folks, it's pen and paper coming out. It's www.thcf.org forward slash anti-idling. If you look that up and you're going to find out, I'm going to quote from the, the website, and Susan, jump in anytime, but the pure waste that results from needless voluntary idling is most easily seen on a, a cumulative basis. I want to knock everybody's shorts off with this cumulative thing. Estimates shown in the table are telling on a daily basis, Americans as a whole may be burning as much as 38 million gallons of gasoline from voluntary idling, which in turn results in producing about 40,000 tons of carbon dioxide. Annually, the cumulative effect is staggering as we may be using, uh, uselessly burning 1.4 billion gallons of gasoline, emitting 13 million tons of carbon dioxide as a result. It just seems so unnecessary we could in most places around here people can just roll their windows down and have that that cool and all that i just can't i what have you noticed what how do you feel about that the the idling that you see around i feel like it is uh, rampant and i think it's going to be very difficult to prevent people from doing that i think that uh people like to sit in their cars with their ac and their radios running so they're going to keep the engine running um the solution is just more people converting over to zero emissions cars so you can do all that, and it's not going to be nearly as uh, detrimental in terms of the the greenhouse gases that their cars are emitting while they while they indulge themselves that way. Well, I know on the website that the HCF it's a foundation. I'm not c- recalling exactly the name uh, for the full name, but they mentioned that people can be approached about that once they're given the information. They understand that that idling is a bad idea. That um, the, another suggestion is. Go to that school uh, and get an anti 
idling campaign, so make it a little patriotic gesture for people, parents to sign on to that that's not such a cool idea and how wasteful it is. And I, I actually, I, I took the whole website link and I copied it all the way down a sheet and I haven't quite, I've got to get the right cutter, paper cutter. And I just want to like distribute those little website links to an offender. But I need your help, <laughs> Susan. How do I approach them? How would you approach them? Or I, have you successfully approached them? Okay, I have discourage? never done that personally. But I think that you might be onto something by maybe doing little strips of paper and uh, tucking it under people's windshields. Or, well, see, they're That's right there idea. using it. I mean, I give them look. I don't know if they <laughs> if they uh, if they think I'm looking at them for uh, some spare change or something, but I they're clueless. Yeah, they're not. They're just noticing that you're looking at them with a with a strange uh, face, but they're not, you know, interpreting that as oh, I should I should turn off my engine. Okay, well then I guess it's it's time to move in, and uh, I, I I sometimes think about I understand they're interested in maintaining penultimate comfort, and I guess if with information people can jovially take take the pointer i guess so that's why uh, maybe if i just say how many uh, how much what a huge not a carbon footprint just talk about uh, try it maybe use the analogy what do you think susan okay what that, i think is you need to put it into dollars and cents i don't think that if you say hey you're spewing all these carbon emissions that that's going to have the desired impact i think there are two ways and this is what i learned just in terms of green coverage and the way that i cover green is that you need to make it witty to get the message through to people who aren't naturally inclined to be green. And um, secondly, you need to translate in a way that um, makes sense to most people. So that's going to be An talking, them, uh, talking to them with their pocketbooks. Okay. So if you can say, if you're idling here for a half hour, you are wasting X number of gallons of gasoline, you know, add that up. Like in a day, that means this. In a week, it means this. In a month, it means this. In a year. You know, if you could do that, oh, we I don't think even you'd have, have more success. We couldn't even go to the five-minute uh, idling, and it starts to rack up really fast. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I would just I would follow those two things, and then I would, instead of, you know, giving people evil looks, <laughs> I would maybe uh, do the little slips under the under the windshield. And Whatever, and is. the school. I guess this is not a call to action, folks. It's a suggestion so that I maintain the FCC integrity here is that <laughs> that starting a, an anti-idling campaign where you are. And I, I guess we, can't we appeal to, to parents who are doting and hovering their children? I can be, of course, guilty in that category from time to time. But say, I know you value your child's public health. And this would go a ways to address that by you're just turning that key in that direction. You know? Yeah. So if that that might be it. So now I'm going to turn my judgmental gaze toward the UCI campus where it could do more to encourage cycling uh, by accommodating more bicycle parking. I heard yesterday, Susan, that a, a lovely uh, meeting center, it's our Beckman Center, uh, they've cut back on the actual barking, bike parking slots uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a nice new trendy form or what, but it's so there's fewer places. And I, the same person that told me that said that there's an engineering building that there it's so tight, the bicycle parking, that they're stacking up their locked bikes so that it's now creating damage. They're puncturing tires. They're they're messing with some of the bike gear. So um, how about in your working place settings, places you frequent, have you run into uh this similar bicycle uh, accommodation that uh, that should be encouraging more bicycle use? I have because for the last couple of semesters I was teaching at Chapman University in Orange and I witnessed firsthand exactly what you're talking about, not enough bicycle parking. So what is the solution? I guess it's once again just going to the, the powers that be of the institution and just kind of um, – documenting it with photos, possibly doing old-fashioned, you know, grassroots campaigning, getting signatures, expressing to the powers that be that they need more. You know, it's really not, I don't know what the actual economics are, but I can't imagine that it's that expensive to put in a bicycle rack. Right. Like, it can't be. And and the, so there's, there's that one aspect. Um, and then there's another, I said I was, it wasn't about uh, the water conservation, but I'm, but sometimes when you're uh, – the water has an energy toll that pulling water uh, is has its own uh, carbon footprint uh, consequences. And I'm also – I was amazed that when the student center, the new one was built here on the campus, that there were no 
drinking fountains installed. And it made me wonder if there's some kind of a no competition clause. But are what about where are you paying note of where drinking fountains are used or where we're we're able to tap tap that water in the public instead of keep reaching for a bottled water, which is back to the energy cost. I'm talking about water conservation. Wow, you know, I do not pay any attention to water fountains. So I'm sorry. Well, it can't be of any... There's one thing for the maven to think about, though. Because yeah. <laughs> the consequence of no water fountains is more of those ridiculous plastic bottles. Unless people are filling up at home. Right. But they're, they're going to deplete that. They're going to want to recharge, refill. That's true. So that... I mean, I remember in the, the quaint downtown settings of yore where there were those lovely, always to find beautiful works of art, brass, uh, uh, bronze, um, I mean, uh, water fountains in, in those areas. So it's, it's it just seems like they're kind of getting fewer and far between. So then when I look around, as I cast my judgmental eye around our nearby surroundings here, I'm watching, and it's not just students, but I'm watching everybody uh, at the uh, fast food places, how much waste they're taking. I know from your Garbage Maven days when you tr- you put together the birthday party where you tried to minimize as much waste as possible. And I want to figure out out loud with you today how, Susan, we can get incentivize people to use their own containers or at least maybe they bring their own cutlery. Like if fast food establishments could have their cutlery in the, in the, at the counter where they are, they're either they could incentivize customers to bring you know bring in their saved cutlery uh and so they can give them a few chain few cents back just the way we get cents back from using our own bags but how how practical do you think that would be i do not think it's practical uh i you're bringing up a huge topic that i've never had the chance to explore that i wanted to i wanted to do kind of like a punked type situation with various fast food places and see how they'd respond if you brought in your own uh, reusable plate and right. cup and see if they would indulge you or if it just slowed things down because the whole idea is it is fast food. So that's the reason why they have this this perpetual waste stream is it's faster just to hand out like that three-inch stack of napkins or to give you the plastic cutlery. They're not If you hand it back to them, they're just going to throw it in the trash. They're not even going to bother recycling it. Um, it's just a matter of expedience. But um, I also think it has to do with where you are geographically in the country because I think that there is a McDonald's in Seattle where they have recycled recycling, trash, and even composting on site. So for right. me, um, you know, I want to explore this idea and see, like, well, why does it work in Seattle? Why don't they even have this as an experiment down in Los Angeles? But it, it is. It's a huge, huge amount of waste. And whenever I do go to a fast food place, um, I try to compost as much of that as possible. Absolutely. But, but composting, it helps with the solid waste part of the stream, waste stream, but it doesn't deal with the fact that the manufacturing has that carbon oh footprint. Oh my god, I know. It's it's really devastating to even to even think about it. And I have not, like I said, investigated that story to see how uh, mind boggling the numbers are, just in terms of, you know, how many French fry containers and cups, especially if you get the large ones that are those plastic cups that are oh, recyclable. Like cups. how much waste is the generated straw. from that whole thing and the straw the lid the, the I know. liners that it's a, I know it's it just, it's a horrifying. It, it adds up so quickly, and I mm-hmm. think uh, on the campus is a place where it's. Uh, I guess they've already been consuming a great deal on the economy, but I, I think imprinting as early as we can so people understand that this is really this is such a, a lavish kind of casting off we're doing with all of these accoutrements from mm-hmm. if you're going to have the fast food. But I have. I'm as eccentric as it is. I'm shamelessly think when I think ahead, which is not enough, is bringing a plate to uh, let's say uh, a school banquet or something like that. I I know my daughter doesn't think much of my doing that kind of thing. She she just thinks if she just misses me as a hippie, then uh, that's doesn't she doesn't have to take my measure seriously. But but bring bring my plate and utensils to the soccer banquet at the end of the season, and you know I know it's going to catch on, folks. It has to catch on. It can taste better on your own plate than on. A, a piece of paper. Well, you have to show that it's easy. And I also think it's one of these things that's going to be easier for women to do because you've got your purse. So if you're in the habit of in your gargantuan bag, like I tend to carry, Excellent. you have your reusable cup, your reusable water bottle, your reusable cutlery, uh, your paper napkin, and your bagu bag. <laughs> You know, you just have to get a system down, but you also have to be able to carry it. It's a lot easier for women because you're already carrying your purse. Well, Guys, different story. I guess maybe the added a little pocket in the uh, laptop uh, 
packaging. Ah, yeah. So that pocket and slip in the Ziploc with everything. But first it's clean and put the dirty right. one back in there so it wouldn't be too hard. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't mind. I, I'm happy to do this, but it's, I, I'd be happier if I did it even more often. Now, um, for those of you who've just joined in, I'm sorry to get to mention this earlier, we are talking. Susan Carpenter, and she's now with the newly launched, was just last week, the O, I'm sorry, the LA Register, uh, which is, she's allowed to, um, she's going to be able to build on her previous work uh, as the garbage maven, and these may, who knows if these are vaulting points that we're talking about today, we're, we're riffing off each other some measures to take towards Earth Day celebration year round, I hasten to say. So, one additional item as time is drawing down is I have taken upon myself, actually I've been doing this pretty consistently for a number of years now, is I bring my own examining gown type uh, apparel to my doctor's appointments. Wow, I'm impressed. So I'm thinking now, I don't know if you've been to these places. I do yes. go, go and be on enemy lines, behind enemy lines to Newport Beach's most lavish medical practices where they, they dispense the most thick, uh, elegant spa type gowns. I'm thinking you're wearing that sucker 20 to 40 to an hour, you know, for half an hour to an hour. And what do you, it's going to be laundered after you use it for such a short time. That's got to really add up. So I don't know. Have you ever thought of that before? I have. I mean, we, I think we live our lives looking at things the exact same way. And you're just calculating the waste and just seeing it everywhere. It just is, it's overwhelming. And I noticed, folks. If you're probably wondering, that sounds odd, but they nobody's giggling at me anymore. They're all they're all they comment on it. And Newport Beach I have to tell you how stylish they think it is. <laughs> it's not. I'm not kidding. And so um, it's it, people are playing along. At first, I think there were some people in certain imaging locales, and they thought, well, I might be bringing metallic shavings in on that uh, that gown or something like that. But it's it's not interfered with a single. Uh, protocol of theirs, and uh, and I just, with my emphatic, uh, shameless sense, I just say, well, I'm, I know this is going to catch on. And I think that maybe that's part of the one-two suggestion you said, the economic appeal and then the, the witticisms to appeal to folks to do this. So I just, I guess there's a burlesque to this that might appeal to their um, comedic senses and that, that people decide it's not that crazy of an idea, they might as well do it too. Yeah, and the other way to tackle it, if they're, if you find out what the root cause is, like why is it they, they want to use these fancy gowns or have them all distributed on site as opposed to having people bring them in, is then you could tackle the laundry side of it. You right, know? right. Then you could talk about how they're laundering it, with what soaps, do they do water recycling on site. I mean, that's another way that you can deal with it if the pushback is on needing to have their own clean robes on site because of what might be tracked in on people's bodies. Right, but I, I I think everybody's contracting out, so it's sort of it's lost. Mm, so it's just mm-hmm. like other processes, we we don't have any clue about that. So it's not uh, the accumulative effect of that is not not necessarily well. So anyway, I, I thought I'd put that one out there, um, and uh, so the just in time. Uh, it's published on my little uh, weekly calendar, my analog calendar in May uh, from a. It's attributed to. Dil- to Bill Mollison, Gardening for the Future. This is a, the lawn issue, and we'll, we'll quickly get in and out of this one. I quote Bill Mollison, The American lawn uses more resources than any other agricultural industry in the world. It uses more phosphates than India and puts on more poisons than any other form of agriculture. He's not giving us much detail, but I think there's some generalities that we ought to at least take note of. And, uh, and I noticed in the L.A. Times home section, there uh, Saturday section last week, uh, they broke down a lot of different kinds of lawns that could be used and suggesting that lawns could be maybe the postage stamp. It's just, it could be a carpet for use as opposed to like the whole uh, landscape uh, covering your uh, your real estate. So I don't know if you have any, have you taken up the lawn aspect before and how to... Yeah, how to I reduce- actually just did. It was my kickoff column for my new... Um- Solutionist series here at the Los oh, Angeles good. Register, but I was talking more about like the how to how to work the LADWP green grass yes. rebate, right? Um, which is kind of trickier than you would anticipate, uh, just because you have to keep your grass green and you have to keep watering it up to a certain point because you only have a certain amount of time for you to you know pull the trigger, get the approval, actually complete the work. But we have seven months where we're not getting any water, and you only have four months between the time that you actually get approved and have to do your install. So 
Um, yeah, lawns, lawns are a huge problem, and not only because of the water that they use, but because all those pesticides um, that are used, all the fertilizers can wash off in a rain and go out into the street. And, of course, anything that lands in the street just goes out to the ocean unfiltered. That means that we're causing pollution and our... Um, Bureau of Sanitation has to pay fines for that. So it just creates this whole snowball effect. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So um, I know that I promised you that I could send you on your way while we're uh, <laughs> pitching this fun drive. Uh, we're listening to my guest has been Susan Carpenter, feature writer with the Orange County Register and the recently launched LA Register. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I hadn't read that to know uh, that you'd already cover that. So um, watch for Susan Carpenter's features on uh, well, many aspects of life in, in LA, but also particularly the Garbage Maven. It was such a fertile area of reconsidering our many consumption decisions, uh, consuming, I want to say consumption, sounds like a PTB, <laughs> consuming decisions. And Susan Carpenter brings such a fresh and a thorough look at consumption, consuming. And uh, we would like, um, it's good to, to keep track of that on the web for the LA Register or uh, or the Orange County Register. I, I guess Aaron Kushner lets you do a little bit of that in the Orange County Register, but more in the LA yeah, I mean, the stuff that's straight-up green stuff that's non-automotive is going to be in Los, An- Los Angeles Register alone, and the website for that is losangelesregister.com. All right. Well, thank you for your time this morning, Susan Carpenter, with the LA and OC Registers. We'll see maybe at another later date uh, once things have settled in at the LA Register, uh, what the coverage is like, what some new Mavenly suggestions <laughs> are for our, our daily living. Awesome. Thanks, okay. Claudia. Thanks for being on the show today. So we're going to be back with some announcements here on KUCI. My announcements are the following. We have uh, Arbor Day on Saturday. That's that's one of the things. And you can look for Arbor Day celebrations, involvements uh, in on the web anywhere, in your local newspapers perhaps. Then um, you can... Pitching in with these kinds of projects in your media area helps you uh, plan for posterity, of course, and other dividends. The social interactive value is always really great. This Saturday from 10 until 2 at the police station near you, you can drop off prescription medications. Irvine, Costa Mesa, and Newport Beach our police departments are the closest ones to where we're broadcasting. Uh, you'll find uh, other locations on the website, www.deadiversion.usdoj. That's the Department of Enforcement. Of, uh, the, I can't remember what it was called. Um, but the Department of Justice puts that up. Then on this week uh, starting today and ending on uh, Thursday is the virtual venues, the distributive body. It's a dance, music, and media installation uh, performance featuring Keikagi on piano and Kojiro Umezaki on uh, Chakuhachi designed and directed by John Crawford in the experimental media performance in the new uh, the performance building on the campus. The design contributions are coming also from online performers. And then we have the, the free performances April 21st through the 24th from 4 to 7.30 in that gallery installation. Then you can buy tickets for the 8 p.m. on performance for today through uh, Thursday. And that... Um, is easily gained there at the earlier website we mentioned with the, the play, uh, as you like it, at www.arts.uci.edu forward slash tickets. So thank you for joining us on KUCI. Please pledge your support. We need it. Thank you for listening.